this is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Unshakable Parenting Confidence with Andrea Pollock. Andrea Pollock is a mom of two young adult children, a former lawyer in New York City, and an advocate for parents of autistic and other developmentally challenged children. When her autistic son was not thriving at school, Andrea left her 19-year law career to homeschool him. She later went on to earn her master's in education so that she could most effectively help parents get swift and lasting results without years of trial and error. Now, with years of experience and research under her belt, Andrea is sharing her wisdom with the world through Autism Parent Solutions. So be sure to look down in the show notes for the link to this, uh, to her and all of her stuff, and... You're going to love this episode. We talk about autism, but almost everything that gets applied, everything we discuss, um, is applicable to almost every child, um, especially those who are struggling in some way. You can definitely relate to this. And we talk about things at home. We talk about things at school, how to get the two in connection with each other. And it's, it's a fun conversation. So... Enjoy, and be sure to check the show notes. Hello, Andrea. Welcome to Decoding Learning Differences. So I want to jump right in. You had your child in a public school. He wasn't doing well, and you decided to pull him and homeschool him. So in your view, what kind of went wrong in the public school that caused you to pull your child from that setting? Well, there were two main things, and I'm not trying to say it went wrong exactly. It just wasn't the best fit. Um, first of all, he is extremely sensitive, right? His sensory system was at the time and continues to be extremely sensitive, and the environment in the school was overstimulating for him. And the result of that was he w- withdrew further inside, which made it much more difficult for him to learn. So that was the the main issue. In addition, I, when I saw the curriculum, and I understand it's a school and I understand what their, what their mission is and their goals, but to me, it wasn't focusing on his core challenges, right? So the academics are important, but if he can't relate to people, that has to come first. Some of that social emotional stuff is foundational and they were, they were great and they, they did know that they had to pay attention to that, but they also had uh, a lot of curriculum goals that I thought you know, we're, we're not focusing on what he needs the most. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 The school's kind of, I mean, based on what they're, what they feel like their function is, they're going, they tend to kind of focus more on the academics versus, you know, you are looking at the whole child and wanting the whole thing and academics are a small piece of that. Exactly. So what I saw when I would observe was, you know, they were making constant demands on him. And again, between the, de- the academic demands and the demands of the environment, he was withdrawing further into himself. And what I thought we needed was to make ourselves a whole lot more fun first to make him want to interact. And then once the interaction grew, we could work on things that were a little bit less fun, right? That's how we build learning. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Instead of working on a lot of things that were difficult all in the same moment, um, it was about getting him first to want to do it and then building up his, 
you know, tolerance for doing things that weren't quite as much fun. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I completely agree. Learning kind of has to be fun and engaging and you have to have that intrinsic motivation that they actually want to engage in some way. Uh, Right. Well, and especially, you know, as an autistic child, he had difficulty relating and communicating. Those were some of his core challenges. So, you know, it wasn't just, you know, their approach necessarily, but for him in particular, um, he needed a lot more of that, uh, that buy-in. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, most kids with autism are not interested in as much of the people pleasing as a lot of the other more neurotypical kids that are not all of them, but some of the more neurotypical kids are like, they'll want to people please just for the sake of it. And then the autistic kids, a lot of times are like, Oh no, I'm good. I'll do my own thing. Right. Right. Well, for him, here's what I would say about that. Interestingly, I would say now that I, you know, now that we're on the other side of it, he's 24. So this is a long time ago already. Um, It wasn't that he didn't want to, it's that he couldn't, he didn't know how his system was too sensitive because now that he can, he really wants to, you know, it's such an interesting, uh, you know, but the way we look at it is important. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you pulled him out, you developed this whole thing to make his education great, and then you felt like you needed to share it with the world um, and started Autism Parent Solutions. So what is the mission of Autism Parent Solutions? The mission is to help parents build parenting skills and inner strength so that they can build unshakable parenting confidence. And that helps them learn to uh, curb conflict that arises with their children, cultivate teamwork, minimize meltdowns. And all of that helps their children make rapid progress. And importantly, it helps them create a peaceful, happy home. When I speak with parents, that's one of their, you know, top priorities that they're, they're in struggle and they know that it can be more peaceful, more collaborative. And that's what we work on. Yes. Um, okay. So how, so why do you feel like parents can't learn what they need from books and lectures? Like what, what are the benefits of coaching over just reading books and going to lectures and watching things on YouTube and all the things? Well, first I do want to say that books and lectures are helpful. I don't want to ever put down any other source of, of help. Um, but you know, they rarely go far enough, right? That parents need to learn um, how to apply those strategies and things to their own child. Okay, so that's that's one really important element. And the most important is that effective parenting is really a combination of mindset and strategies, right? Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to see your own mindset, your own your own blind spots, and that's where the coaching comes in. Right. So I can give you an example. Would that be helpful? Yes. Very. Yeah. So say a parent has a lot of fear or tension around something, say, like teaching your child to read. Right. And without realizing it, we may put a lot of extra pressure on the child and that makes it even more difficult for the child to learn to read. So what we can do is we help parents explore their fear and their underlying emotions and their beliefs about what's going on. And that can help them 
choose how to show up differently for their child, right? So a book or lecture on strategies can't help that, you know, that can teach, that, that can be strategies to teach a child, but it doesn't help the parents see or address their own emotional undercurrent that very much impacts how we apply those strategies. Right, right. Right. So I, one other thing I would say about that is, um, you know, you can learn that way. That was the way I learned mostly. I mean, I did have some coaching and that was enormously helpful, but I learned through a tremendous amount of trial and error over a lot of years. And so my goal is to help parents get there faster, uh, to spare them some of that trial and error and error and error, which I did live through. Yes. Yeah, it, there's definitely wisdom in going, listening to those before us, and it definitely is harder to apply anything you're hearing in a book or a lecture. I know for me, the other benefit that I see in like the ongoing coaching stuff is I read a book, I listen to a lecture, and then I go about my life. And the longer, the more time that goes by from that book and lecture, the less I'm remembering, the less I'm applying. And whereas with the on like ongoing coaching, it's constant, constant reinforcement of those same strategies, constant re looking at how are things shifting now? How do I need to reapply this? You know, maybe that part of the book didn't apply at the time. So I, it didn't really register with me, but now it would totally apply because things have shifted and our things are different. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And another thing I see is that Oftentimes parents do read books and they try to apply things. And when it doesn't work with their children, they start to develop this fear that nothing's working and nothing will work. And that's another thing that I see where, you know, that breaks my heart. I really want to get dive in and help them, you know, say, no, 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 this can work. We just have to be coachable here and try it and try it again and tweak it a little and, you know, have an interactive, you know, understanding of how this is going to work. Yeah, and like you said, or on the, the mindset stuff is if they're reading it and worried that it's not going to work and then it doesn't work, it's reinforcing that mindset and that fear that then makes it harder for the kid to respond to that intervention to begin with or what, whatever the strategy is, that things aren't working partly because of the, the, the preconceived ideas that we've gone into that situation with and we kind of have to and having that other person say, yeah, nope, I've been there. I understand. Let's do this together. Right. Right. I, I agree with that completely. That's yeah. beautiful. Um, definitely. Uh, one other thing I would say also is, you know, in parenting, strategies are important, but the relationship comes first. Absolutely. And sometimes when we read books about strategies and we try to implement strategies, without remembering that piece, um, it can also cause things to go sideways. So, you know, it's a very helpful reminder during coaching to really understand what it means for the relationship to come first, what that looks like. Because I believe that all the parents are, they are really trying hard. Like some are being, you know, very strict disciplinarians because that's what they believe will work the best. But if we can take a look at how that is actually working and perhaps make some shifts around that, you know, looking at where the relationship is, um, then we can pick strategies that will work in combination with the relationship. Does that make sense? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I also was thinking about, you know, there's times where I've tried a strategy, but I'm not in the right emotional state, which is kind of what you're saying, like, I'm not putting the relationship first. So I'm trying to trying to basically force something. So it's like a strategy might be like, I'm thinking about like the playful parenting strategies where, you know, getting very playful and making things fun. But if I am doing it for the agenda of to get my kid to do something, then it's not coming across as all that playful and it doesn't work. And I might throw the whole thing out the window and go back to the the more authoritarian responses that might get it to work temporarily, but aren't beneficial in the long term. So it is it is definitely one of the things we have to kind of I think having someone help look at how is this happening? I mean, I, I definitely use um, parent coaching myself. I've been in multiple memberships and I'm I've got a lot. Um, I, I appreciate that extra support of someone to talk to and talk things through with and really help me see things differently. Sometimes I think that the conversation with the coach will go a certain way and then they'll help me see something that seems obvious when they point it out, but wasn't so obvious in the moment. Right, right. And also, you know, another factor is there is so much information. When I was going through this 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of information. I was like scrambling to find things out. Now the, the volume is overwhelming. So I can understand why it's hard for parents to know because it also all contradicts each other, mm -hmm. right? So it's hard for them to know. And there's not one right way to parent. So right. it's about finding the strategies also that match the parent you want to be because there are a lot of ways to do it properly and every parent is entitled to be the parent they want to be. And finding that though, in that sea of, of you know, advice and information and opinions, uh, a helping hand with that is very helpful. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a reason there's so many different parenting books because everyone has their way that works for them and they're sharing it and it's great. And, but yeah, it's hard to, to go through it all. And for those who don't have time to read 50 books, then going to a coach can kind of streamline things and make things a little faster and help them get to what actually is going to work to begin with. And like you said, not going through all that trial and error. Exactly. Um, exactly. So is there kind of going back to the, the idea of schools, um, if parents aren't ready to homeschool for a variety of reasons, are there things that parents can guide the schools to do differently that you feel like, I guess, I guess part, well, I guess there's, there's multiple fact, multiple things I'm thinking about here. So feel free to just talk about all of this. I'm wondering about like, okay, the, the parent isn't ready to pull their kid out of school. Is there something that you're able to guide the parent to then guide the school? Is there things that, you know, or is that just not the best route to take at all? Um, and well, let, let, yeah, let's start with that. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a really big question. I love, I love the question. I have a lot to say about it. So let's, okay. we'll, I'm sure we'll, it'll all come out in conversation. Yes. So with respect to the first question, the first part of it, which is um, <clears throat> if they're not ready to pull their child out and what they might be able to, you know, recommend to the school, and is that not the right thing to do? I think if your child is in school, then being in partnership with that school is the best thing you can do. And that means 
that doesn't mean just telling them what to do. It means being part of a relationship, right? Because sometimes, you know, we have an idea, but the school environment is different. Just like we always tell teachers and therapists that the home environment is different, right? So being in a partnership, I think is really important. Um, but I can start with some examples of things. I mean, one is I would say, and this is directly relating back to the first question you asked about, you know, why it wasn't working for Matthew, my son, is for parents to help uh, schools and teachers be aware of sensory overload issues, right? And reduce the, the sensory demands where that's possible. Like if you think about it, school can be a sensory nightmare, right? There are bright visuals all over the walls that people think are so great. Well, if you're an autistic child, some of that can be incredibly overwhelming. There are bells that are ringing. There are, you know, remember the sound of like all those footsteps in the hallway? Well, to an autistic child, it can sound like drums, right? It's, it's a lot. So that would be a place to, to start, right? With the awareness of the sensory issues. Um, also, I would say helping teachers believe and know that most of the time when the child is having a hard time, it's not their choice. They don't wanna be difficult. They're having a hard time, they're not choosing to be difficult. Because when you start with that mindset, it changes how you approach the child and it very much changes um, how you can support them rather than discipline them. Mm -hmm. Um, so those would be two examples. I mean, two two big broad categories. I mean, I can give you an example of um, having a hard time and, and observing what they need. Would that be helpful? Sure. Yeah. Um, so say you have a child whose sit still limit, for lack of a better term, is ten minutes. Okay. And you have a math lesson, and you're teaching complicated math, right? So that's one demand. Mm -hmm. And then in order for the child to be a part of the lesson, they need to sit for, say, 20 minutes. Well, that's another demand, right? And that combination of demands might set the child off, mm -hmm. right? So if you're aware that it's not their intention to be defiant, they're not attending, you know, it's not their intention to escape math, it enables you to look at what's happening here. Why is this happening? And then you can see that perhaps you place too many demands on the child at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's two separate high demands and that's the issue. So if the teacher's willing to look at it that way, they might say, OK, at 10 minutes, why don't you take a lap around the classroom, sit, sit back down and then we can keep going. Right. So that's just one little example. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and I I agree with so much of what you're saying. I, I've you know, I used to be a special education teacher in the schools, so I definitely saw a lot of sensory stuff and I felt that and one of my favorite classrooms one of the special education full-time special education teachers her classroom was like darkened and there was like soft music playing most of the time and it was just like like you walked in you're like oh it feels so good to be in here like everyone felt it and so there's you know some kids and she and it's funny because the kids that went when she first started the kids that had been in the class before and then they came in all the behavior problems were gone it was like her class just the environment reduced a huge amount of behavior problems she also had a really good personality of really connecting with the kids and assuming the best in them like there's a lot of factors that made her class very successful but i think about a lot of that is that that like 
her class was not a sensory overload like the first grade class next door you know the gen ed first grade class next door was sensory overload for some of us um so, okay, yeah. so that's a great example of sensory overload um you know and that the child's not choosing it right so if yeah. just changing the sensory environment brings everything down and it shows that it reduces a substantial amount of the behavior problems it's kind of proving the point that the child the children aren't choosing that behavior right. they're driven to it yeah yeah and i i completely agree that kids they do well if they can they're they're always right. kind of doing their best with what they're given there's always something going on um it's rarely as nefarious as people try to try to put it on the kid They're like oh, they're no it's they're not like that um right yeah like you said they're not choosing to be difficult they just need different supports and help um and what i would also say is even when it does seem like they are choosing to be difficult it's because they lack the skill in the moment to make a better choice right it's not choosing to be difficult for the for the act of the defiance right it's they they can't make a better choice so what they need is support in that moment not discipline discipline is not going to help them get where you want them to go right right yeah you know thinking back to that that same teacher who i i loved so much about what she did it, you know i would see her often with that very difficult child outside of the classroom having a calm quiet conversation and just saying you know helping them work through emotions or helping them understand that why what they did is not actually okay and like ass again assuming the best in the kid and it had great results um so um and there was something else i was going to say with that and i keep forgetting where my train of thought is going um oh you had also talked about you know being in relationship with schools and i i definitely see that i've seen a lot more success when there is that strong connection um you know i loved being able to call a parent and just be totally completely honest and transparent with them and get their feedback on what's going on instead of trying to have anybody put up any kind of front like i just let's be open and honest this is what your kid is currently doing this is what we've tried do you have any other ideas um you know do you want to come get them do you think it's a good time for you to pick them up and just remove them from the environment completely or otherwise they can sit here quietly and we've got this going on you know just having these very honest conversations i think when we're able to have those kinds of relationships and just pure honesty i've seen a lot of a lot of success absolutely and you know it it it's so important right because so much of what parents experience is judgment of their parenting right so their child is a reflection of their parenting which isn't true right. um i mean you know around the edges but you you get my point so yeah. if a teacher you know it goes both ways right if a teacher is like well you should have blah 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 or you you know you never you know it just it doesn't it doesn't um inspire that cooperation but similarly if the parent is judging the teacher well you should have done something differently or it just it it's not for the benefit of the child so what you're describing is exactly what the, the whole family needs it and especially the child yeah. um, and i i love when that happens and when parents um go into it with that attitude i mean i think sometimes 
it's really the teacher who needs to set that tone because the parents go in defensive and it's understandable. Yeah. They've been called lazy. They've been called all kinds of things when you know, they probably haven't slept in like 11 years, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's just a great thing when it can be developed. I think it's so important. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen teachers come in defensive too. And sometimes an administrator is the one who can kind of help everybody build a relationship. Like I've seen it come from different places because I've seen teachers come in feeling like, like a gen ed teacher will come in and be like, I don't know anything about autism. The kid shouldn't be in my class. Like they're coming from this defensive of like, I don't know enough to help your kid. And therefore I need it to not be my problem because I don't, they feel inadequate and it comes, you know, it can make them in that very defensive mode. And then the parent is feeling defensive because of like, like you said, so it's sometimes an administrator can help and sometimes a school psychologist can help and sometimes a special ed teacher can help. And like, but as long as there's someone who can help bring us all together and, and remember that we're all on the same team, you know? Yeah. 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 I know I'm so glad we're talking about this because, you know, we don't talk about it enough. So yeah. I love this. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, is there anything else that you want everyone to know about autism parent solutions and how they can find out more about it and all of that? Can you just tell us a little bit more about your program and what you offer? Sure. Um, I offer a 12 week program and it's a combination of education, educational materials, um, but we also have small group coaching with which the parents really love because it it is a community environment. It's so interesting to see how many parents struggle with similar things. Um, it's also interesting to see when a parent struggles with something you don't struggle with and you have great ideas about how to fix it. Right? It's always easier to see the solution when it's not happening to you. But you can then appreciate the, the problem solving muscles you're developing. And the parents really develop a closeness because Raising an autistic child can be quite isolating. So that's a nice piece of it. And it just accelerates the growth, right? If you're doing all one-on-one -on -one work, then you only ask the questions that you think of to ask. Mm -hmm. But so many times, you know, a parent will ask a question and another parent will say, oh, I have a follow-up on that, right? So it, it just really accelerates the growth. And then there is also some one-to-one -to -one because obviously there are things that you might not want to discuss in a group setting. So we provide that as well. And the transformation that we see is, is so heartwarming, right? Parents go from really struggling to feeling like I've got this and I can handle whatever happens, which doesn't mean, right? Confident parenting is not perfect parenting, right? It doesn't mean that things are going to go sideways. And, but you know what? If they do, it's okay. I'll deal with that too. I've got this. Um, so it builds their confidence, which then, you know, really does enable the joyful, peaceful, happy home that they were looking for. Um, so that's the broad brush of the program. Love it. Um, yeah. Okay. Did you want me to discuss how to find it? Yeah. What were you gonna ask? Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I was gonna ask. Oh, okay. Um, if after hearing us talk, you think that coaching might be for you and you wanna, um, get in touch with me directly and explore if it's a good fit. You can go directly to my booking page and book a call, which is autismparentsolutions.com forward slash apply. 
And that'll take you right to my calendar. You can book a call. We can discuss what's going on and see if it's a good fit. If you want more information, you can go to my website, which is autismparentsolutions.com. And on the website there, um, there's a free webinar. So if you want more content like this, you can hear more about it. Um, there are also, um, I have linked, you know, other appearance, appearances I've made and interviews I've given if you want to get to know me a little better before booking that call. Uh, so that's available too. Excellent. Perfect. Some great resources that we can, uh, we'll definitely have that in the show notes for everybody. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. It was great chatting with you and thank you for being on Decoding Learning Differences. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.